just all have music like that everywhere we walk, right? Walk into your house, walk into your, um, you know, your room, your, your cubicle on Monday, and peaceful thing. That, no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, welcome, guys. I, I'm glad to, to stand up here and continue our sermon series called Hope. Um, and as I began to think about what was I going to talk about this weekend, um, one of the things that just came to my mind over and over again was the idea of story. I love stories. I love stories uh, in books, in movies, um, television. Maybe you're a Netflixer and you watch a lot of, you know, you might even like to binge watch story. We're a culture that loves stories. Um, stories uh, evoke in us emotion, evoke in us uh, a passion and a heartbeat. Uh, stories get us thinking in a different way than maybe we thought before. In fact, I think one of the most prevalent like themes in story that people really like is the idea of somebody sacrificing themselves for somebody else. Somebody laying down their lives for another person or maybe for a group of people. Let me name a few famous ones from movies that maybe you've seen or you've enjoyed. Those of you that are Star Trek fans, Star Trek IV, Spock lays down his life for the entire Enterprise. Saving Private Ryan, the entire squadron lays down their life for Private Ryan and says, earn the sacrifice that we gave up for you. If you are, uh, maybe you haven't watched either of those movies, maybe a little bit more recent, Tony Stark in the last Avengers movie sacrifices his life for the entire universe, right? And we love those stories. We like those stories in our movies. We like those stories in our TV shows. We like it. We, we like the idea that somebody could be such a hero that they lay down their life for somebody else. One of the most amazing stories uh, in contemporary culture is some of the heroic stories that have come out of We've lived through tragedy over the last 10 years plus, right, haven't we, of all of the school shootings that we've seen. And yet there has been tons of heroic stories that have come out of those moments. One of my favorites uh, was a man named Dr. Labrescu. That's a hard one to say. He was a Polish um, professor, which is even harder to say, at Virginia Tech. You guys remember Virginia Tech? There was a, a, a crazed young man who went around shooting up the school. And Dr. Labrescu was 76 years old, and he, he barred the door of his classroom so that all of his students could jump out the windows, and all but one of them survived as he took five bullets to his body and sacrificed his life for his students. I love stories. Stories of heroism like that, where somebody's willing to lay down their life for somebody else, like gets my passions going, it makes my heart open up, makes me go, that's pretty amazing. I think ultimately, on some level, it gives me hope for humanity, right? And what's interesting about all of those stories, about any heroic story where somebody lays down their life for somebody else, is this truth that I think it's rooted in something. Uh, the famous author J.R.R. Tolkien, who my family loves, we even named two of our kids after hobbits, like we love uh, the Tolkien stories, he used to say this, he used to say that every great story of tragedy turned into joy finds its roots in the Bible. In fact, he used to say this, he used to say that a story would actually lose its power to create emotion within you if it didn't have its roots in the foundations of what the scriptures say. I thought, man, that's a really interesting take on stories. And when I begin to think of stories of heroism, I go, you know, that's probably true when it comes to stories of somebody laying down their life for somebody else. Because ultimately, Jesus is the very one who laid down his life for you and for me. He's the one who laid down his life for all of humanity. He's the one who said, I can turn something that's hopeless into hope. And really, those stories of heroic sacrifice are actually pointing us back to what Jesus did for you and for me. 
hopefully we begin to understand what that can do for our passions, for our hope, for our emotions, to go, man, I want to believe in heroism. I want to believe not only that somebody could die for me, but that could raise to life for me. In fact, he's probably the only one who died for somebody else and came back, right? But herein lies the problem, I think. At least this is the problem for me. I love those stories of heroism because I want to believe that I could be a hero. I don't know about you, but I want to believe that I could be the hero. That if push came to shove and somebody came at one of my friends with a gun, that I would stand in the way. That I would lay down my life for my family or for my friends. I want to believe that I would do that. I want to believe that I could rescue somebody else. I think that's what gets us all excited. What I think the problem becomes is most of us don't want to be rescued. Most of us don't want to be the one that Captain America sweeps in and rescues, right? We actually want to be Captain America. We'd much rather be the hero than to be the one who's rescued. Because when we're rescued, it means that I couldn't do it by myself. When we're rescued, it meant that I couldn't live up to the task. When we're rescued, it means I had to be vulnerable. We don't like to, to admit that we fail sometimes. Uh, somebody on our staff this week goes, you know, I don't even like it when I trip and fall and somebody wants to help me up, right? Like we are, we get so full of this, I can do it on my own and so much pride that is in our lives that even when we trip, it's like, no, no, I got it. I'll just get myself up. We do that, don't we? We don't like to be the one who's rescued. But here's the thing about the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus tells us that hope is not found in us being strong. Hope is not found in us being good enough. Hope is actually found in our submission. Hope is actually found in saying, you are my king. You are my savior. You are my Lord. You are my sustainer. You are my bread of life. You are all that I need when I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. That's actually where hope is truly found in this Jesus. Let's pray, and then we're going to open up the idea of what it means that Jesus is the gate. Father, Thanks for today. It's going to be a beautiful day of celebration, of worship, of music, of teaching. And God, I pray that over the next couple of minutes, as we get ready to celebrate, that you'd open up our spirits and our hearts to what your Bible has to teach us today. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to be in John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up your Bible this morning. If not, uh, go to your Bible app on your phone. If you don't have one of those, it's super easy to download. Uh, download the Bible app on your phone. You can look at it. We're going to be in John chapter 10. I'll have the words up on the screen as well. I'm going to be reading mostly from the New Living Translation today as we explore John chapter 10. Now, what's interesting about John chapter 10 for me is this, is that um, John chapter 10 uh, talks about Jesus being the gate. And for a long time as a younger man, this scripture was super confusing to me. This scripture didn't make any sense to me because of the fact that I had grown up uh, just over a mile or so away from my friend Glenn's farm. And like most farmers in central Illinois, they raised beans, corn, had a bunch of thousands of acres that they farmed every year. So that was normal. But what you also might realize about most central Illinois farmers is this. They all have a side hustle. They have horses or cows or chickens or something like that. My friend Glenn had sheep. His family raised sheep. 
His family raised sheep on the farm. They dedicated several acres to the, to the north and to the, I think it was the east of their farm, and surrounded it with fence, and they raised sheep on their farm. And so when I read about Jesus being the gate and the good shepherd of the sheep, I was always really confused by that comment. Why would Jesus want to be the gate? Why would he want to be the shepherd? Why would he want to do that? Because every time I pictured a gate, I pictured this. I pictured, you know, a, a swinging group of boards on a fence. I was like, why would Jesus do that? Jesus wasn't a farmer. Jesus wasn't a gate. In fact, Jesus was a carpenter. Wouldn't he be the guy who built the gate? That would make a lot more sense to me. And beyond all of that, you guys may or may not know this. If you spent any time around sheep, I've spent lots of time around sheep in my younger years. Uh, in fact, we had Cub Scouts there every week, and we did chores, and we did things with the sheep, and we steered the sheep, and we, we herded up the sheep, and we fed the sheep, and did all kinds of different things there. You might not know, sheep are really dumb. They are. Sheep are super dumb, and they are not fun animals to be around. You know, one of the favorite things sheep like to do is if they fall down, they kind of drown in their own saliva. I mean, that is how dumb sheep are. I'm like, why would Jesus want to use that as like an illustration for who he is? So when I came to this passage and read it for the first few times, I was like, man, I got to go deeper and find out what Jesus is really saying. I tell you the truth, John 10, 1. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Now, why is this important? Why does Jesus start here? What Jesus is starting here with is trying to tell you that you may have not or may not have realized your life may not feel perfect right now. You might have stuff going on in your life. You might have things that seem to be robbing your joy, your hope through this season. I mean, it is the magical time of year, right, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and there's lights, and there's parties, and there's all that, but everybody's life is perfect right now, right? No. What's Jesus saying? There are things... They're going to sneak in. They're not going to come through the gate. They're going to come over the side of the sheep pen. There are things that are going to come at your life that you may not be ready for. There are things that are going to come at your life that you may not be ready for. You, you might have a relationship right now that seems to be stealing your joy. You might have a kid right now that is stealing your joy. You might have a job right now that is sucking the very life out of you. And you might be feeling it right now in this room at 1134 on Sunday morning. You might be feeling like everything's not as perfect as I would like it to be. There's stuff coming against me. There's things that are stealing my hope and my joy and my purpose and my destiny. I don't feel like I'm on the path that I want to be on. And what Jesus is saying is that's going to happen. That is kind of normal. But what he wants us to realize is hope's not found in being strong in those moments. Hope is found in submitting to Jesus in those moments. To realizing that you and I cannot handle every problem that comes our way. Verse 2. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep recognize his voice. And they come to him. And he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They're not going to follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Now let me explain to you. What's going on here? This is actually a very common illustration for them, but maybe confusing for us. In our world, I see white picket fences around a sheep pen, right? But this was a nomadic culture, the sheep herders of Jesus' day. They would travel around and would go to the greenest pastures they could find, and then they would stop at night at a sheepfold. And they would stop at that sheepfold, and I would bring my sheep in, and Henry would bring his sheep in, and Kevin would bring his sheep in, and we'd all drop them off for the night, 
to the hired hand that was there guarding the sheep. And in the morning, we'd get up, and I don't know if you've ever seen a flock of sheep, but they're not the easiest things in the world to tell apart. And so they would get up in the morning, and they would have to call them out of the pen, and there might be two, three, four flocks of sheep in there. And so they needed to know the voice of their shepherd. They needed to know the voice of the one who was calling them. In fact, they would train them from birth certain noises, certain sounds, certain voices to call them out of their sheepfold. And what's so key about this for you and for me is this, is we need to learn how to hear the voice of our Father who loves us. We need to hear the voice of the Father who loves us, who's calling us into what we're being called into, who's calling us out of the place that we are right now and into his greener pastures so that he can guide us in our lives. See, listening to the shepherd's voice rather than our own voice begins to push down where we're prideful and where we think we can do it on our own. And then it releases hope's power in our lives as we hear the voice of the Father calling us out into the things he wants to call us into. Jesus continues, I love this, I love how honest the Bible is. Uh, You know what, everybody who heard this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate to the sheep. All who come before me, they're thieves, they were robbers. They were the ones coming to steal and kill and destroy your life. But true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come in and go and find good pastures. Now, if... Our picture of a gate is this. If it's that swinging boards, we don't understand why is Jesus the gate to the sheep? This doesn't make any sense, does it? He's just a swinging thing that allows me in or out of the, I don't know, the amusement park, right? We go through swinging gates all the time. But that's not what it looks like. This is what a sheepfold looks like. A sheepfold looks like a stone wall that was a certain height. That's why robbers and thieves could jump over the side. And there was nothing in the opening in the gate. The shepherd stood there and kept his sheep in when they needed to be safe and let them out when they led them to greener pasture. The shepherd's role was to guide them into both safety and into freedom. And what he's saying here is you're not going to find hope in trying to get yourself in and out on your own, knowing when to be safe and when to be guided by my hand. You need to let me do it. You need to submit to me. You're going to find hope in giving your life over to me so that I can guide you into the freest life that you can have. John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy your life. The thieves are coming to do what? To take your joy, to take your hope, to take your destiny, to take your purpose, to take away the things that I want to give you. They're coming to to bother you, and, and you may have felt that in your life even today. Maybe getting ready for church today, you were like, Oh my gosh, I am not wanting to go, right? Some of you that are parents know that feeling, right? The kids get, right when it's time to come to church. Like, it's like there's something trying to steal your joy. And Jesus is saying, guys, no, that's what the thief is trying to do for your life. My purpose, the gate's purpose for your life is a guidance that will give you freedom and guide you into the best possible life that you could ever lead. I'm here to help you be who you were created to be. I'm here to help you be released into the dreams and the destiny that you were made to be the way I formed you before you were ever born. I'm here to lead you into the fullness of what freedom looks like as I guide you along greener pastures, as I lead you beside still waters, as I help you feast in the presence of your enemies. Maybe you guys know that one. It's in Psalms. It's my job to lead you into that. I am 
the good shepherd. Listen to what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand, the guy that we paid the money for to like run the sheep pen, he's going to run away when a wolf comes, as would I. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd, so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But look at this picture again. Look at this picture again. If there is just an opening in a stone wall, then Jesus is not just the gate. He's also the good shepherd because you know what they did at night? They slept there. They slept there in front of that opening. And so when a wolf comes, when a bear comes, when a coyote or whatever animal comes to eat the sheep, they were literally the only thing between them and their death. The sheep laid down there, or excuse me, the shepherd laid down there to protect his flock. And the good shepherd did it willingly. Those that were not good shepherds, they ran away. The good shepherd did it willingly. He says, I will lay down my life for you. I'm going to submit to the voice of the Father and lay down my life for the voice of the Father so that you can be free, so that you can be safe. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too. He's got, I've got other sheep. I want to bring lots of people into my flock, into my sheephold. I want to bring everybody into my family. The Father loves me. Why? Because I sacrifice my life that I may take it up again. Guys, Jesus lays down his life for you and for me to bring us hope. He sacrifices his life for you and for me to bring us hope. And then our submission to Jesus' sacrifice releases that power, releases the power into our lives that we can live differently. We can live both in the safety of Jesus' protection and in the freedom of his guidance as he takes us along the paths of our life. One last verse in this text. No one takes my life from me. Not the thief, not the robber, not the wolf. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This is what I received from the Father. I have the authority to lay my life down at the cross of Jesus Christ. I have the authority to, to lay it down, to let, let Satan take my life. I'm going to go to the death and to the grave. I'm going to conquer sin. I'm going to conquer our disease. I'm going to conquer every hopeless situation for you. I'm going to go. I lay it down willingly. And then this is what's so awesome about Jesus, right? I have the power to take it back up again. I have the power to come back. I'm the only one who can lay down his life and then come back three days later, right? That is the resurrection hope that you and I live in. That's, that's the freedom that we live in, knowing that our Savior is not dead and gone, but that he came back and is preparing a place for you and for me to be free. Listen to Romans 6. This is the amazing part about this. The amazing part about this story is this. The amazing part about this story is that Jesus invites us into this. Jesus invites you and me into the, into the freedom that's here, right? We get invited into the bravery and the victory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, you get to be a part of this amazing story. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined with him in his death? For we died and we were buried with him in baptism. I love that picture, right? We go under the water and we say, everything is gone. All of my past, all of my sins, all of my failures, all of my mess-ups, all the places where I wasn't strong, where I was weak, God, you took them, and I died to that old life, and I come up out of the water, and I'm raised to new life in him. Just as Christ was raised from the dead from the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. 
since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life just as he was. He says, I'm inviting you into my bravery. I'm inviting you into stepping out in faith. I'm inviting you into being brave just like I was. I was brave for you when I laid down my life. Now you be brave for me. And you step out in faith and you get baptized. You've got to stand in front of a crowd of people and say, I'm dying to my old life. And I'm being raised up to a new life. Be brave for me. Live your life for me. Die to your old life and be brave with me. But he doesn't just invite us into his bravery. He invites us into his victory. Here's the victory. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might not lose its or so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Jesus Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And if we died with Christ, we know that we're going to be live with him. Guys, it's not just about our bravery. It's not just being invited into Jesus' bravery. It's being invited into his victory. You and I are victorious through the cross of Jesus Christ. No longer can our enemies steal, kill, and destroy our lives. We can only walk in the abundance of what Jesus Christ has given to us. It is amazing the freedom that we now have. It is amazing the glory that we now walk in. It is amazing the love that we now get to carry because we've stepped in faith into Jesus' victory. We've stepped in faith into what he has done for us. Everything has been canceled at the cross. Everything has been defeated by his resurrection. And now we get to live free. It is so awesome. And ultimately, our yes is all that he requires. Ultimately, our yes is all that he asks of us. Ultimately, our, our faith step is all that he asks of us. Yes. Yes to what you did for me. I believe, Jesus, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. I believe, Jesus, that you went to the grave and conquered sin and hell and death. I believe that you conquered it and you came back. Three days later, I believe that you're the savior of the world. I believe that you're my gate, my shepherd, my bread of life. I believe in you, Jesus. And I'm ready to live my life for you. That's what this is. That's what all of this is. That's what faith is. It's saying yes to the story of Jesus' sacrifice. It's saying yes to the story of his resurrection for us. It's saying yes that you and I don't have to live in our failures anymore. We get to live in his victory. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the truth of your passionate scripture for us. That you're going to lay down your life for us. And you're going to take it back up again. That you died for us. You died as us. That we no longer are slaves to our sin. But we are free men and women because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are free because of your resurrection. We are hopeful in this life and in the next because of what you did for us. And because of that, Jesus, we worship you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Well, we're